This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. This week on our panel, we have Chris Fritz from the View core team. Hi. Eric Hanchett, software developer and author of Vue.js in action. Hello, hello. Should I put the dot in Vue.js? Vue.js in action? Uh, yeah. You can say it either way. Yeah. Um, either way. Vue.js. No, I would say Vue.js. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. use the dot. As All soon right. as I said the dot, it sounded wrong to me. Okay, we'll stick with it. Um, we have Divya, and I'm still not sure on your name. So, <laughs> it's all good. Ron? Yes, close enough. Uh, View developer, speaker, and contributor. Hi. Uh, yes. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that is Hassan. Jordi. Uh, uh, yeah, a little tricky. Yeah. Hello, hello, hello. I'm like, there, there are too many consonants in that one. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, folks. Do you want to just give us a brief introduction? Definitely. Um, my name is Hassan. I'm a front-end engineer and developer based out of Toronto, Canada. Um, I work for the commerce company Shopify as my full-time job. Uh, and in my free time, I just do anything view-related. And I just recently published, helped publish a book called Full Stack View. Nice. You know, we were talking before the show. Do you want to just uh, give us the highlights on the show? We'll probably come back around to it. And then we can start talking about like uh, View CLI 3 and awesome stuff like that. Yep, definitely. So we can definitely like address, um, like I just recently started using the Vue CLI beta 3.0 um, and it's an incredibly, incredibly good tool. Um, and then after that, we can put, put pretty much focus on state management patterns. Um, and that's sort of the focus of how I started getting introduced to Vue and finally Vuex. Um, and finally, maybe some talks on persistence and how we can set up a backend with a Vue application. Sounds good. So uh, you've, been, you've been playing with Vue CLI 3 more. Like, how is that different for people who might not know from Vue CLI 2? Like, yep, is a, that a big upgrade? Or I mean, it's a, it's a major version, but what does that yep, mean? That's a good question, actually. So, um, so you know, the main understanding of setting up a, an application or a JavaScript application is often um, fatigued and difficult in the first place. So as a, as a new user to Vue, I first you know, went to using the Vue CLI since I assumed, okay, this will help me set things up. My first instinct was, okay, which one should I use? There was like a bunch of templates that existed. Uh, Webpack Simple, um, Webpack This, Webpack That. Vue CLI 3.0, which I thought was incredibly cool, was that sort of just abstracted away. Um, the minute you just sort of install it, you create a new project with add Vue CLI, your name of your project, and then you're actually provided with a series of steps that tell you exactly what you need in your app. Um, and I found that really, really helpful. Um, because I think it's more obvious for someone to understand what they need in their application as opposed to what template they need to use. Um, so giving the ability to use, I don't know, prettier ESLint, um, what Jest or testing libraries would you like to use, which you need Vuex, Vue Router. Um, and as long as all that's set up, you literally have a Vue application that's set up and good to go right away um, with all the tools that you need integrated already. Um, and the beautiful thing is there's no concept of ejecting, as maybe some pe people are familiar with Create React app. You can do whatever you want to it. You can modify it. You can configure it. Um, but it's just a fantastic way to get things started in the beginning. 
Okay, one super minor correction. There is a concept of ejecting, but <laughs> it's it's configurable so that you don't have to eject right away. Okay, there you yeah, go. Yeah, so I think there I think go. one of the reasons I think a lot of people won't ever even know that ejecting exists because they will never need to. Exactly, exactly. I've never even considered it or thought about it because I was like, you know what, I can just make any changes I need to, and it's good to yeah. go. And then it also sounds like you were saying uh, before with UCLI too people needed to make a decision before they even ran a command to start a new project. Like, okay, what kind of project is this going to be? Whereas now they can just run the command and then like they're guided through a series of questions that ask them more about what their application is going to be. Exactly. That's exactly. And I think to me, that's like the biggest kicker for the switch that happened. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And then it just builds the perfect template for them. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. And you can even save your configuration. So you never have to even go name in and say from now on, any project you ever create, just stick to that same configuration you've used. What if you're using a configuration from uh, Vue CLI 2? Do, do those carry over? Are they compatible? So, um, yeah, pretty much. There are, so the way I see it is um, the way the actual application is scaffolded is somewhat slightly different. But end of the day, if you're using, a, say, Webpack or Browserify, um, you know, it just produces a bundled project for you to have your development environment ready to be bundled and, you know, ready for deployment if you actually want to get that going. Um, so I think the moment you actually switch from using the older version of UCLI to the newer version of UCLI, um, it's just like that switch is even simpler because it actually cleans up your scaffold even more. So a lot of the things you're familiar with using are actually abstracted away um, and your setup is just the same as before. But in this particular concept or this particular case, you just follow through a series of you know, simpler steps and you're more of baby the way to go through and set up your brand new view project. So for like beginners, I think this is the easiest and most simplest way for someone to get started on a proper view application. Yeah, I've migrated the, even though it's still in beta, it's, it's still pretty stable. And I've migrated a few production apps to view CLI 3 already. Yeah. And it was mostly deleting files that I no longer have to maintain exactly. because like Vue CLI is maintaining them for me so that when there are upgrades to like Webpack and Webpack plugins and stuff that I, I might not even need to know anymore, like that it's there and like that I have it installed, like under the hood. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's remarkable and really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge, huge fan as well. Yeah, and I think I think the dev team and the view dev team in general are doing like an incredible job with it, um, because end of the day we could have just stuck stuck with the older version, and technically that was working well and everything was fine, but it's a continuous progress of making things simpler for developers and um, introducing you know maybe newcomers to view and view webpack projects and just you know reducing that sense of friction for setting up your first webpack project. Because for me as a developer, that was like my first sense of okay. How the hell did I go from you know building something very simple to I have to set up a brand new Webpack project? I don't know why I need all these tools. Um, and the Vue CLI, especially the new beta version, is just that abstracts that all the way. Nice. And what kind of stuff like, after you've actually created your project? You know, we've talked a little bit about being able to further configure it. Yeah. So that if we wanted to do something different, we can. Like, what is? How does that look like? What kind of stuff can you configure? Um, yeah, it's a good point. So, like one of the things I had to do recently. Um, I had like a basic server setting up and I needed to basically create a proxy between my client and my server. Um, so I just simply, set, and following the documentation is incredibly simple. I just basically set up a new view.config.js file um, and I'm able, able to actually dictate a, um, a proxy um, that's simple enough for my client to understand, hey, there should be any no, no course issue or whatnot when interacting with the server. So that's one of the things, for example, I needed to do to make a small configuration. Um, I'm sure there's like a bunch of other things people need to do from time to time. Um, but the beautiful thing behind it is Everything is sort of abstracted away and if changes actually need to be made, um, you just have to basically create a particular config file that 
Webpack or the, the actual project scaffold recognizes, that's good enough for you to use. And then you're good to go. And you just follow the steps and boom, everything works as intended for the most part. Nice. And, and you might not, it's okay if you don't have an answer to this question, but have you found anything that you're not able to configure that you're kind of stuck with if you use Vue CLI 3, you know, where it's really opinionated? It's a really good question, actually. I have not. I've Why, never... thank you. <laughs> I do. Oh, I'll be, I'll be happy. <laughs> so I've had conversations with Chris about this, um, but Vue CLI 3 automatically gives you Git integration. Mm. And um, I've been on the side where I think that as a developer, you should so, have... Wait, 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 wait. Okay, 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 fine, fine, fine. If you have Git installed... If you have Git installed... It, it initializes... It, yeah, initi- yes, yeah, go ahead. It, in, it initializes a Git repository and makes the commit for you mm-hmm. um and that is to me it's something that like i feel like i want full control over chris obviously disagrees with this <laughs> my understanding <laughs> of our I, conversation is i convinced you by the end no, so i don't know you why you're going back you. now <laughs> you open the pandora's box here <laughs> <laughs> no that's that's actually a really good point i Funny enough, I thought that was a great thing because I never had a problem with it, but you make a very good point. If some people want that sense of control, I guess that's Yes, thank you. <laughs> but I think I I'm more far less validating than you, Hassan. <laughs> he did. Um, and the main reason is because like, I'm very much a stickler and maybe to a fault about like very clean Git history. And so, for example, like the previous, what you were mentioning in terms of adding proxies or updating your config, um, for me, I want to do that in my first initial commit. <laughs> um, and I understand why you would, you know, like when you create a new view CLI, you would just like, you would want to initialize that as your first commit. Um, but for me, I like to make all of the changes. Like for example, I use Vuex modules. And so I want to change the folder structure and then, and then that whole thing being my first commit. Um, so in, essentially, it's changes to the vanilla <laughs> view CLI config stuff and then commit that. But of course, um, so what I've been doing, which is uh, Chris does not recommend, is <laughs> rm-rf.git. <laughs> and, and then pretty much like doing my own Git stuff. So I'm like removing, I'm like, thanks, view CLI, but no thanks. And, and, and why did I disagree with you that you should do that? Why do I have that? Well, okay. So, so I'm going to speak for Chris here, but apparently, apparently um, the nice thing about having Vue CLI do your commit is that if you were to make new changes to your project, um, and if things are breaking, it's very easy for you to revert because the first initial Vue CLI commit is essentially the base of what a Vue CLI project is. And so if you were to break anything, um, it's very easy for you to go back to how it was rather than having to figure it out on your own. Yeah, plus if you're you're starting like a new project later and you have like an an ESLint RC file or something like that and you made a bunch of changes to it, you know, and added some, some new packages and stuff like that, you know, relating to linting. And then you wanted to see later, it's like, oh yeah, what was all the stuff that I had to do from the base config to set up linting? And you could have like a nice, beautiful diff there, you know, that explains everything that you had to do. <laughs> Otherwise, you're throwing away data. <laughs> That's one of uh, boilerplate project is for, in my opinion. Doesn't Git have a squash function though, where you can combine several commits into one commit. I, I don't remember exactly how you do that, but yeah, you, you can, can rebase it. You can rebase it. You can. Yeah. yeah. It just seems like that would be less work than 
<laughs> deleting yeah, the folder. Yeah, you could you could you could squash them. Uh, but then that way you're throwing away data too. I mean, the, the end yeah, result is basically the same. Yes. <laughs> so, and I, I don't recommend either one because I like data. Yeah. Just copy your setup.sh script over and just do that. Mm-hmm. It'll be easier to create that setup.sh script if you have a you know, detailed commit history. Can you not create your own templates with the CLI then? Uh, no, you, you, you totally can. In fact, like I have... Um, uh, View Enterprise Boilerplate Project. That is a, essentially like a really opinionated setup for, for a new enterprise project on top of uh, View CLI 3. So it uses that under the hood and then like has a lot of other configuration and stuff like that on top of it. So couldn't you do something like that then, Divya? You could, yeah. I mean, this. I think it was just an opinion, uh, about, like a knee-jerk opinion reaction, which I think is still valid. Uh, about the reasoning behind uh, why Vue CLI uses Git, uses Git or does that Git integration for you out of the box. Because um, obviously, I mean, I come from a React background and Create React app like doesn't do that for you. And so this was a new workflow for me um, that I felt was different. And to me, I understand the reasoning for data <laughs> Um, but it w- I think it would have been cool if there was an option. So, for example, when I'm creating a Vue CLI project, I can choose whether or not to integrate Git or not. So I could be like, I want Git integration or not. So, Gotcha. I was trying to solve the problem. I guess you just wanted some sympathy. Can you believe how overbearing these CLI developers are? <laughs> exactly. They're yeah, there terrible. you go. Uh, awful. It's like, if I want to make a mistake, let me make a mistake. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Funny enough, no, I think that now I'm going to hack it so it pushes to or, uh, Origin Master now too. <laughs> <laughs> you should, you should, you should fork Vue CLI three. <laughs> yeah, I'll be like Vue CLI three better. Vue <laughs> CLI four. I'm joking. <laughs> Specifically geared towards SVN developers. <laughs> oh, there we go. Well, SVN developers probably won't have Git installed. They so won't. It won't, it won't be an then issue. You, you can have like a specific thing that allows them to. To, to do SBN integration. But anyway. But I, funny enough, I think this like brings up an interesting question. Um, like how, how much should I, like the CLI tool in general walk a developer through um, instead of the developer taking control of certain things? Um, I think the Vue CLI is in a good spot now. Um, like I, I, I don't necessarily you know, mind the Git integration or whatnot, but like you mentioned, some developers might be like, you know what, I don't need to be hand hold it here, I can do it on my own. So I think it's a sort of a fine line that CLI developers have to think about day to day. Completely. Um, yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's similar to like specific CLIs that scaffold projects for you. And so that's really good, especially if you're new to a project and you don't want to, I don't know, configure your routes and handle your templating. Um, but for some others, that configuration is something that they like full fine control over. So yeah, it, it's definitely a fine line. Yeah, we, we do try to like, not be too opinionated. Uh, so for example, when you're uh, integrating something like ESLint into a project, then you'll have some choices whether you want to like, add some kind of config like standard or Airbnb. Uh, and by default, the, you, by default, you will get the um, ESLint plugin view. So you'll, you'll be warned about view rules. But uh, we will only warn you about uh, like actual errors by default. 
you know, so there'll be absolutely nothing that has to do with style. Nothing that you could potentially disagree with. Well, you put anything in there and somebody could potentially disagree with it. But, but yeah, you're solving for the general case. Most most people are going to want what you're putting together. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I guess, I guess they could like, you know, if they want a runtime error, let them have a runtime error. Uh, but <laughs> I think when we can avoid it, it, most people enjoy being able to not have a runtime error and, and find out at compile time. Yep. All my learning takes place when I fail. So just set me up for that. Uh, well, one feature that, that I really like of UCLI 3 that I'm using in like pretty much every project now is that if you have linting, then it actually sets up a pre-commit hook for you that will go through and like lint any of your files that are staged in the commit to make sure that you know they are following conventions and stuff like that so it's literally impossible to commit any code that doesn't follow your conventions and actually i do something in in my projects and in view enterprise boilerplate i like to also run the related unit tests on pre-commit so that you can't even have like a failing unit test that's pretty uh, cool. That's, that's incredibly cool. Yeah, that's sort of like the way I see it. It's just like, you know, instead of bring, making it to your, I don't know, your CI pipeline, it's being dealt even before it gets there, which is pretty yeah. cool. Like how, many, how many times have you like worked in a team where, you know, you have to remind people, it's like, oh yeah, don't forget to run the tests before you commit, you know, or, or push up the PR. I think that would be cool for, for like view PRs because I've seen, there's a lot of PRs out there that people don't run the test. I mean, I haven't, I've committed before without running tests. And Ed was like, can you run the tests? I think if, if anyone claims that they've committed without running the tests, they are a liar. Well, I, I don't, think, I won't believe it. I think, oh, yes, that's fair. So, um, yeah. We're all lazy. We are. So this tool makes us not even have to think about it. Mm-hmm. You also can lint on save too, I believe, right? Yeah, I think it's an option. Yeah. UCLI gives you the option to lint on save or lint on commit. I usually lint on save. Um, yeah, me too. Because yeah. yeah, because I feel like I'd rather catch the error when it happens. But there, there are two different kinds of lint on save, though. There was a kind of lint on save that we used to use in the Webpack template for Vue CLI 2 that a lot of people really, really hated. And it uh, basically like, halted your build whenever there were linting errors. So even if you're making like a minor like, s- style problem or something like that, and it's not being auto-fixed, then uh, like, your app will actually like, crash. You won't even be able to like, prototype. So if you're trying to just like, quickly prototype something, and you like miss a space somewhere and you have some ESLint rules that say you have to have a space there, then it'll actually halt your build, wait for you to fix it, and then you can continue prototyping, which a lot of people hated. And so the default is not that in Vue CLI 3. I want to point that out. It will tell you about the, the warning in your terminal, but it is a warning. It does not stop your build from compiling. That's good. Yeah, that, that was awful when I was trying it out. I remember um, in the two days. Yep. That wasn't fun. So you won't, you won't have to deal with that anymore. And we apologize for the inconvenience in the first place. So how deep can your uh, 
template changes go? I mean, can you change your Webpack setup and everything? Or are there certain things you cannot customize in the template? Yeah, you can totally change your Webpack setup. Um, and uh, one of those ways is through uh, can the configure Webpack option. That's probably what you were using, Hassan, right? For yep. the proxy? Exactly. So like in Vue CLI 2, it was it was sort of embedded in your application scaffold and you just go to configure Webpack option. Um, in the Vue CLI 3, if all that's abstracted away, you can actually just specify a view.config.js file, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that you're able to actually specify all the, you know, whatever change you need to do with your Webpack application. Yeah. And then how does it... Uh, the configure webpack option, you just provide it like an object with like additional configuration that you want? Exactly. Yeah. You specify a configure webpack object. And in my particular case, it was a proxy object. And what is a particular, you know, route that should be proxied and, you know, change origin, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, I think we're using webpack merge to merge that with the base options. Mm-hmm. I see. And there's another way to configure webpack too, for people who are really advanced. Uh, have, you, have you used this one yet? No, no, the I think chain that was, webpack? No, I have not. So for people who want to use um, chain webpack, which is if you've used tools like Neutrino, uh, I believe Neutrino uses that too, and it's becoming more popular in the community. It really gives you like fine-grained control over even changing like part of an individual option, uh, you know, in some like loader that you're using and stuff like that, rather than like overriding the whole loader. Wow, that's really cool, actually. Really, really cool. Yeah, so that's, it's a little bit more advanced, and there is good documentation on it at the uh, Chain Webpack GitHub repo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also link to that in the, the VCLI3 docs. That's really cool. I, I like to stick with Configure Webpack at first because most people are familiar with that. But when you want to go like really deep, sometimes you have to use chain webpack but with chain webpack you can literally like change anything about the base config yeah that's incredibly cool um, out of curiosity how much configuration do you find yourselves doing with let's say a standard view webpack project medium mm-hmm. I, I don't know i'm not sure how to answer it but uh, <laughs> usually usually not too much i mean it, it really depends on how like opinionated the team that i'm working with is you know, they might have like some particular plugins that they need, you know, for like pre-rendering. It's like, okay, well, that's some pre-rendering. Uh, this isn't in Vue CLI 3 yet, but uh, we're going to uh, eventually, when it's before it's finally released, uh, be adding an analyzer. So right now in the current beta, if you want to add, you know, an, like a Webpack bundle analyzer, you'll have to do that yourself, uh, which I like to do. And... Also, like proxies are a common one. I have this uh, weird slash cool pattern that I like to do with a mock API uh, that I can run like the back, the test for the backend API. Uh, I can run those against this too so it can confirm that they work exactly the same. And then that way I don't have to actually like hit any backend APIs uh, when I'm doing testing and even when I'm doing development. So yeah, there's, there's a little bit of config that I like to do. Yeah, I only asked that because funny enough, I've found that, you know, for the most part, um, any of the actual Webpack configuration I've never needed to do. And I'm somewhat pleased about that, actually, for the most part. Um, but yeah, I was just curious what others, others felt from here time to time. I'm kind of like Divya, though. Like, sometimes, sometimes I like to do things my way, even if it's, you know, even if it's not necessarily better. Yeah. <laughs> 
No shame. No shame. We, we both have that tendency sometimes, I think. Yes. It's not right or wrong. It's just different. What's the benefits of a Webpack analyzer? Does that just show everything that's in your Webpack in a, some visual representation? Oh, yeah. That's, that's a really good question. Uh, yeah, so it it shows a... I, I don't remember what the name of that chart is. Does anyone remember the name of that kind of chart? Otherwise, I'll just be like holding my hands in front of me and then like making shapes, which I've heard doesn't work well in a podcast format. So I'll I'll try to do it anyway. It sounds like no one knows what that is. So um, it has a bunch of boxes and the boxes are different sizes and the boxes are inside of each other. And each box represents, you know, a uh, folder or a file. And it shows you how big like each of the you know, folders and files are in your dependencies and in your actual app. And it, it splits out the different bundles for Webpack. Is that a tree map visualization? Is that what you're calling it? It might be tree map. That might be the thing. That sounds maybe like it was what it's called. Maybe. Yeah. Could be. Sounds smart. Let's just go with it. Yeah. Uh, the website. The he said it very confidently. Package. I believe him. The package said tree map. <laughs> so. Well, the package says I just Googled map, it. Then. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oh, you shouldn't have given away that you Googled it. You should be like, I believe that's tree map, actually. Tree map visualization. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very handy for like when you, you see that your app is a little bit bigger than you thought. You can go in and see like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And uh, try to figure out what's happening. Uh, one real example of where Webpack Bundle Analyzer saved me is back before I understood more about like how Webpack actually works. I was importing um, with destructuring different uh, helpers from Lodash. And that will actually import not just that module, but all of Lodash. So I, I looked at the bundle analyzer and I was like, wow, I, I'm, I have everything from Lodash in here. I'm only using like, you know, three different helpers. What's, what's going on here? And I, I did a little bit more research and figured out, oh, okay, I have to do like import, um, you know, compact from Lodash slash compact. And then that's how I pull in just that one function. Ah, gotcha. But it, it helped me find the source of that problem. Also, it can help you find out, it's like, wow, I'm using Firebase and that's like 60% of my build. I guess Firebase is pretty big. Maybe, maybe I should not use Firebase. Blast. Unless you actually need it. I mean, unless you really need it. But if you're just like, oh, yeah, it'd be cool to like drop this in. You know, you might not realize how big it is, you know, if it's bringing marginal benefit. I'm curious, Hassan, are you using this at work or are you just experimenting with it, waiting for it to drop? Because I don't know how Shopify uses Vue. It's a good question. So Shopify, where I'm at right now, does not use Vue. Um, I'm actually doing React primarily um, in my day job. Um, I only picked up Vue in my free time, actually. Um, I think a little bit more than a year ago, maybe a year and a half. Uh, and I was like, wow, what is this, this new framework that's getting really popular? You know, I'm somewhat happy with React. Why do we need another JavaScript library? Um, and then I just started building all my side projects and hobby apps with Vue. And then that's pretty much been the separation between using React during the day and Vue in the evenings. You're like Batman. You're just like a different person at night. <laughs> I guess so, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, I've, I've heard from a lot of people that they're in a similar situation. I, even 
uh, one member of the core team actually is in that same situation where he uses React at work, uh, but in yeah all of his side projects and all of his free time, he's working on Vue. Is he into testing? Yes, he is. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. this is Ed, yep. <laughs> author of Vue Test Utils. Okay. I think it's funny too that you said it's like Batman because Batman is a JavaScript framework written by Shopify. It is I mean, actually. <laughs> it is, like I completely forgot about that. There is a JavaScript framework. That's funny. I mean, no matter what word you say, odds are there's a JavaScript framework. Odds are you can npm install whatever that is. <laughs> and I if you can't go squat it. it today. <laughs> <laughs> And the funny thing is, even like during my, um, a lot of people I work with never use Vue either. They've been familiar with React during their, you know, day job as well. Um, so I'm sort of recognizing the Vue guy at work. And I'm sort of just trying to, you know, keep that going for someone, for the most part, giving a few talks at work here and there. Um, but it's sort of like, I, I like the, in a way, I like the separation of seeing, okay, React does this and it's pretty cool. And, oh, wow, Vue does this so much better. So sort of, you know, sort of opens my, my mind to certain things that I'm not usually exposed to I'm doing one particular thing. So I do like that separation for a little bit. But if I could use Vue, I would <laughs> in a heartbeat. So, <laughs> yeah. I find myself also like keeping. Up. I used to do a lot of React, and then only lately, I think about a year ago, I started doing Vue um, at work full time. But I still find myself keeping up with a lot of what's happening in React land, just because I think having that knowledge is very valuable. Because Firstly, when you talk to developers, they might not have done Vue. And so if you understand both React and Vue, you can talk about things and like make people understand concepts in Vue that they might not understand in Vue because they would have done it in another framework. So I think that's like extremely valuable. I've also found doing shows on Angular, React, and Vue that a lot of times we use the same patterns or the same types of things and we just call them different things oh yeah so we'll, we'll we'll talk our way around something for a minute and then it's like oh well that's this over here oh okay okay yeah like uh, uh, one classic example is that scope slots in view you know are essentially the same pattern as render props in react you know except it it offers and you could actually do you know use the render props pattern in view slot scopes just uh, or scope slots just give you a little bit more flexibility and that uh, the like parent component can provide a render function or a template, you know, for that for that slot, for that piece of template. And I gave a talk about that <laughs> view. Um, yeah, I, I completely. I, I think a lot of the patterns like translate, and and if anything, as a front end developer, I find a lot of satisfaction in being able to translate that. Because it's almost it's very similar to being able to speak multiple languages. It's it's very impressive, and so it's the same thing with like front end. You're like, oh, I do React, but I also know Vue, and like I also understand Angular, whatever, Batman JS, etc. It, it's impressive, and people give you dirty looks sometimes. Yes, always. Yeah, always. so it's just, it's just like if you're like speaking French around someone, it's like, oh, they speak French. I'm impressed, and also like, who's this person pe- speaking French? Like, I know they speak English. <laughs> Are they talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> Who does he think he is? Yeah. Who do we think we are using multiple frameworks? Are you one of us or one of them? Yeah. So I, 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 yeah. I, I absolutely agree. And every, 
like every single uh, like library framework ecosystem seems to have something, a lot of things that are that are really valuable and unique that the others can learn from. And it, we're we're very conscious of that in the view community and constantly looking out to see what other people are doing and see if we can learn from it. You know, even if it doesn't directly apply. Is the view CLI based on some of the other frameworks CLIs? Like, do you share technology that way, or is it mostly uh, written from scratch? It is written from scratch, but uh, there there are a lot of ideas that uh, you know we've taken from like Angular CLI and from from other CLIs. Uh, you know, in, in discussing like what's good about this. And also when people open up issues, you know, they'll often say like, hey, I, I also use, you know, Ember or I use Angular or I use React. And this is something I like, uh, but I noticed I'm not able to do it with UCLI 3. You know, could we make that happen? So, you know, between us and the community, we're, we're really trying to pull in all the best ideas. And, and to add to that, like the CLI is a fantastic tool to get things started for someone who's familiar with, you know, Webpack projects. The beautiful thing behind Vue is getting started without the CLI. And I found it's probably, in my opinion, the easiest way from any JavaScript library, any JavaScript framework um, to sort of just understand how to actually work and build and set up. And then over time, consider if you need, I don't know, a bigger application scaffold or whatnot. Um, to me, that's a, that's a huge distinction. Um, for, and one of the main reasons why I actually got started is going through documentation. I'm like, oh, it's that easy? I can just drop this particular script tag and, oh, I have all this power right now? That's, wow. And I think that's like that's a huge amount of effort just for that alone. Yeah, and I, I think like that's something uh, that's something pretty new about Vue CLI three in that you don't have you don't actually have to know about Webpack right away. Like you don't have to know that it your project is even using Webpack under the hood. You know, you're just serving your app and it and it works. You know, only when you need to do something complex like you know, set up a proxy, you know, then do you need to know a little bit of Webpack, but the, the vast majority of what's happening, you don't have to maintain, you don't have to think about, you know, so you can really just do that just in time learning rather than, you know, jumping into a huge config file and trying to figure out like, okay, like what of this do I have to take, do I have to care about? What do I have to know about? You know, and just feel immediately overwhelmed. But yeah, if, yeah. You, if you want to see what uh, your uh, Webpack config looks like that's being generated, there's actually a view inspect command uh, that will spit out your config. And, and also you can inspect like specific parts of your config if you want to see that too. I actually had no idea. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. But yeah, like, oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, I was just like, just to add to that point, I think for me, when I was initially getting familiar with Webpack and whatnot, um, the biggest barrier for me was just simply file structure and config files and whatnot. Just seeing that as a beginner or someone brand new, like that was, I was like, what am I doing? Why is this so complicated and whatnot? And Chris makes a very good point. Like with the view, new view CLI, you don't have to worry about any of that. If you just want to work on a view development environment that's sort of good to go, you're, you're, you're pretty much good to go. So what if I want to add a command to the view CLI? So let's say I want to do like view... Uh, insert dad jokes or princess bride quotes or something like that, you know, as part of my uh, CLI experience. Is there a way to extend the functionality of the view CLI? 
Son, you want to take this one or should I jump in? I'll let you take this one. I think you have a much better answer than me. <laughs> okay, well, there, there is a plugin system. So there are uh, official plugins. And in fact, when you're starting up a project for the first time and you're getting asked questions like, oh, do you want linting you know, with ESLint? Do you want to use Prettier? Uh, do you want to use like, you know, SESS or Stylus or Less and things like that? What, it, what it's doing is installing um, a collection of plugins for you to support all of those features. And the community can also write their own plugins that work exactly the same way, that have full access to everything that the official plugins have access to. So you can really like, customize this project as much as you want. So if you need to make uh, dad jokes, uh, <laughs> I'm waiting for one now. <laughs> Absolutely. Or like a, you know, a storybook yeah. uh, plugin, you know, if you want to you know, integrate storybook into your project. Yeah, that was just me not being able to come up with a good, useful example. Well, dad jokes make prototyping fun, so I think that could be a useful example too. So on the, on the topic of things that you can't configure, would you be able to like, change, change it so that UCLI 3 doesn't use Webpack, but just like uses Browserify? It's a good question, actually. Um... I would probably say I'm okay with Webpack personally. And I think once again, Vue CLI does a very good job of abstracting all that away. So if somebody wanted to say, hey, I wanted Browserify instead of Webpack, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, but I think end of the day, you know, Vue CLI does a fantastic job of setting things up without showing you the, I don't want to use the word, the mess or, or the bloat, I guess. Um, but I, I personally, I, I've been using Webpack projects primarily. I've never actually used Browserify. Um, so I, I'm totally fine with that alone. Yeah, well, most people that I know would who would want to stick with Browserify are used to Browserify, right? And so they're going to want to go mess with the mess or the internals or whatever you want to call them, right? And so if you're using Vue CLI, I mean, if if you're just going to go Browserify it anyway, why, I mean, I don't know if I don't know why you would really bother with it because you're going to eject right away. You know, it, you're going to use your Vue CLI generally if you're just going to go with you know what you handle all the internals. I'm not going to fiddle with it. And then if I really have to figure out what's going on with, um, with Webpack, then I'm probably going to go find something on Stack Overflow that says, stick this in your template, and then I'm going to be done. Yeah. My, my top advice for someone who wants to use Browserify instead of Webpack, um, and this is not going to sound helpful, but it would be don't, because I, there are just zero advantages. Um, you know, if, if that's what you're more familiar with, that's fine, but you're going to get more power um, out of the box than you would from like a heavily configured Browserify. Yeah, and if I'm, I'm not mistaken, I think um, Vue CLI 2 had a few Browserify templates. Um, I never used them, um, never really paid attention to them, but I think there were some templates that people can get started with if they were interested. Um, but like you've mentioned, yeah. yeah if you're and those, those still exist, but for a new project, yeah. I, w I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. So, Hassan, can you tell us about your book? Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, so um, the book is titled Full Stack View, uh, The Complete Guide to Vue.js. Um, and the book is pretty much geared towards, um, it's a project-driven guide to building applications with Vue. Um, so initially, we introduced the readers to um, the basics of Vue, how Vue works, how to set up a very simple Vue upvoting application. Um, and as the reader progresses through the book, um, he or she is exposed to 
introducing new other elements within the Vue ecosystem. Um, Vue Router, um, then Vuex, um, then integrating with a server API, a local server API, um, and then finally, all of that with the, within a Vue testing project and how to actually run tests. Um, so the book is catered to being a complete guide to learning Vue.js Vue alone. And who's the target audience for the book? It's a good question. So the target audience is primarily beginner to intermediate developers interested in learning Vue. Um, um, people who've never used Vue before or are familiar with other JavaScript frameworks would be, uh, would be a good audience for the book itself. Or people who've actually never actually used JavaScript or trying to learn how to set up proper JavaScript applications would be a good audience to, uh, for the book. Um, people who are already familiar with Vue and who've been using it for a while may not necessarily um, find particular elements that are fully useful to them. Um, but yeah, the target audience as a whole is beginner to intermediate developers. Yeah, I will say something I appreciated when I was uh, looking through your book is that a lot of the things that are, are, can sometimes just be assumed in a lot of books uh, are, are explained and you, know, you, you actually provide resources where they can find out more. You know, so, so things that might just seem like, oh, duh, you know, if you're like a front-end developer, this is something you should know. Like a lot of times you will, you will actually like provide resources for people who don't know what that is so that they don't get stuck and feel stupid. Yep. You know, they, they don't have to have been like using another framework, you know, that, that is also, also using like all of the, the same things in the ecosystem, like Webpack and NPM and Node and stuff like that. Yep, yep, exactly. And that was like, I think one of the, the main things myself and the other contributors were thinking about earlier on, um, as we were like build, explaining certain concepts, our, our focus was explaining concepts in such a way that the reader has never been exposed to it. Um, even like the simplest of things or even the more complicated things. Um, and like, like I think and many people might realize there is a, a line to draw. You don't want to over explain incredibly simple concepts, but in the same time, like you've mentioned, um, you don't want to just, you know, forego certain things that people may not be familiar with. And as a result, oftentimes I'll reference certain things that the user should be familiar with. If you're not familiar with Webpack, for example, here's documentation on Webpack. Um, or if there's like more in particular information, the view docs that the book doesn't necessarily cover in detail, I'd be like, this is like the main gist of it. The view documentation does further, you know, more ingrained stuff. But yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate it. And it looks like uh, you also have some screencasts that go along with it for one of the packages. What are the screencasts about? Yes. So... Yep, exactly. So for the, yeah, I'll, I'll actually explain that. Thanks for pointing that out. So for the enhanced package, um, there's a two-hour screencast um, that I basically introduced the user to building um, and deploying a Vue.js application from scratch. Um, um, and I actually got that launched, I think was it last week? Yeah, last week. Um, and the idea is the application I've used as an example was a cryptocurrency tracking application. Um, so we have an API that exists that provides all the data. Um, we actually use Vue CLI 3.0 in this particular case on how to scaffold a brand new project. Um, and then we set up our states, we set up our routes and application. And finally, we set up our views in such a way that the user recognizes, oh, this is how you can actually build an entire application. And finally, um, we deploy onto Heroku. Nice, a little cryptocurrency. So like you could keep track of your Bitcoin prices and exactly. all the different prices exactly. on that and see. Exactly. Do you have it usually using a charting library to chart it too? Or are you just... Showing you know, the prices. Just showing the prices and, um, and other information that the user is interested in. I don't know, market cap or volume and whatnot. Nice. And you just uh, plain HTML, CSS, no, no like beautify or anything? Nope. Plain cool. So we do use semantic UI. That's the one thing. Okay. I, yeah. Um, but like also like something I stuck with within the book and the entire domain was never focus too much on markup and CSS. Um, even in the screencast, I, I make that a very strong point. Um, like we, we're using semantic UI, we're setting up our markup, but this is the more interesting part. This is how we map data and whatnot. 
Very cool. Very cool. Thank you. Appreciate it. So is there a computed property in there somewhere that returns true or false, whether I'm a Bitcoin billionaire yet? <laughs> There's a secret one there, you know, and I'm notified if that happens. Oh, wow. A Bitcoin billionaire has logged on. No, I'm joking. <laughs> cool. And I think that when I, when I first met you, uh, you were giving a talk on state management, right? Yep. Um, yep. I was giving a talk on state management at Vue.js at the Spotlight View conference at Toronto. Yeah. So what is there to say about state management? It's a really good question, actually. Um, so there's a lot to say, <laughs> but to start things off... Um, I can ask a more specific question if you want. <laughs> <laughs> good starting point. It's a really good entry point. So like the talk and the way the talk was sort of titled and explained um, is just sort of an entryway to explain to users or readers or anyone watching um, how to actually manage data or states within view applications. And it's a very broad topic. Um, so... There's like, you know, the main concept of passing data information from parent components down to child components um, and then setting information upwards from child components up to parent components. Um, and then state management sort of grows into a more broader aspect of how do you have completely unrelated components share information between each other? Um, and then that's sort of the entry point to why do we need state or why do we need to actually manage states in a Vue.js application? So the, the answer then is to like store global variables on the window, right? <laughs> That's a secret tip. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, so instead of, let's say, that particular example, um, um, using custom events, for example, could be a particular way of sending information everywhere. Um, though it's not, let's say, a window object or global window object, it's sort of this global approach you could use um, to just fire information from multiple areas of every app. Um, but that isn't necessarily managing state. Um, and that's well, sort of the... What, what's wrong with just saying like, you know, window dot, you know, <laughs> some property equals yeah. X. It's a good question. So for the very, very hobby, basic applications, I would probably say if somebody wants to do that, you can go right ahead. Um, but the moments, you know, certain information in your app depends on that particular, let's say, variable X. Um, and if something tends to, let's say, break or something doesn't necessarily work, it's just that approach of retracing where you've went wrong or retracing where something's happened. Um, so variable X may not be a problem, but if you're specifying window, global, the entire alphabet, um, and that's when you, know, you might start losing your mind. <laughs> yeah, another potential issue is that, you know, if you just create a new property on the window, the window isn't reactive. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, exactly. Yeah. So for that data, like view won't know when it changed. And so if you're subscribing to, you know, if you're actually using that data in some other component, it's not going to know you did anything. You know, exactly. it's not going to re-render. Exactly, exactly. And if you make, let's say, multiple changes to it, you have your, I don't know, API calls and whatnot, and end of the day, you want to create a dynamic application, that won't necessarily be the correct approach, I'd say. So what do you recommend? I mean, you, you talked about one option of like, uh, yeah. you know, like, you know, communicating with events, you know, up and down, or having like, you know, some kind of global event bus. What do you usually do? Like, um, what do you find yourself doing in your applications? It's a good question. So when I first started getting into Vue, um, I remember I built an application um, and I actually launched it and whatnot. But there was, there was a bunch of issues with it because I was using a global event bus to fire custom events everywhere. And it was incredibly difficult for me to understand where is my event bus breaking and why is it breaking certain areas? Um, and I think I, I posted that application. I remember it was, I think it was on a Reddit subreddit. Um, and I think Thorsten from the Vue.js team actually commented in that particular Reddit. And he was like, yo, this is, this is good. This is great work. But I would advise you to consider maybe using a simple global store for now. And I was like, what? what? Why? Why would I need to do that? And what is that exactly? Um, and I think that's probably the 
I, I would say, um, the precursor to doing any application. If you want to share data within multiple components of your app, at the very least, create a global store that hosts at least application-level states um, and have your components' data proxy that particular store. Um, that would be my first initial recommendation. Um, if you, and now, at a certain point, if somebody finds themselves saying, okay, this, this works, but it's starting to get a little messy. I, I can't keep track of all the changes I'm doing to my store. Um, I, I don't know why I'm doing certain calls in this particular component and other component does this. I can't facilitate responsibility. I would say that's the very moment I would say, you know, that you're pretty much ready for Vuex. And I think Vuex is the way to go for that particular use case. Is there any situation where you'd say, uh, like you personally would not use Vuex, you know, a particular kind of problem? No, personally, I would use Vuex for everything. Um, and I think as long as, I think this should go for anyone for the most part. If the beginning, you know, understanding is gathered to what Vuex is and what it does for you, um, it's incredibly simple to implement. It's incredibly simple to integrate. Uh, so for me personally, any application I'll ever do, I would always probably have a Vuex store set up because it works very well for basic applications and it scales fairly well as applications grow. Are there any downsides? No, nothing personally. I've never had a downside with Vuex. Um, so once once you know it, like once you've learned it and gotten that over with, yeah, then you're. Then, I think, yeah, then I think it, it's all just it's all just rainbows. There's a, well, <laughs> well, there are certain things that you tend to encounter. So one of the things personally I've encountered, um, and I, I talk about this in, in the talk I gave as well as the the book and whatnot, is if you know, does a fantastic job of having all your application level data, um, but for a huge production application, this can become cumbersome. You have one store for, I don't know, let's say 100 components. Um, but Vuex actually provides an advantage to this or something to help out. You can use modules. Um, you can use modules, and modules, um, for, the re for the listeners who may not know, are, are just segments of your store that end of the day make up the entire global store. Um, so for example, if you had a hobby application that um, had an authentication flow, um, as well as a shopping cart and whatnot, um, to make things more simpler, I would probably create components for each particular domain, and I'll create a module for each particular domain. And when I create the Vuex store, I'll integrate the modules together to make the Vuex store global. So that sort of facilitates the issue of having one store for an entire application. Okay, so if you have like, you know, some kind of online store, and you have like products and users and stuff like that, would you have like a, a user store and a product store? I mean, or sorry, a, a user module and a products module? Yeah, actually, you actually you can actually could. So the thing is, end of the day, I think it facilitates to how you feel your application should be split. Um, there's, I, I, I feel like there's no necessarily right or wrong answer to this. You could have everything in one store and not worry about modules if you think that's, that satisfies you. Um, but if your application is neatly mapped in such a way that there's data within your user domain that isn't necessarily being shared anywhere else um, or isn't being shared within your card domain, you can have a particular module called user module. Um, and you can have something similar called a cart module. But yeah, that would, that, that's, a, that's an approach that you can take. Are, can you, like when you have different modules, can you actually get data from other modules? Like let's say you have, um, you know, you want to keep track of something in uh, the user module. Like you want to get an array of all the cheapskate users who haven't bought anything. And for that, you need to you need to reach into the products and see like, you know, like which which products have been bought and by who or something like that. Like, how do you how do you do that? How do you connect different pieces of information? So it's a good question. So first and foremost, when you build your entire store, 
all the modules does is it facilitates in such a way that it can break up the store for you to set up. So in any, any component that you use, you can access the store as a whole. And as a result, you can literally access any information from any module you feel like. So modules don't necessarily create separate stores. They just help facilitate one greater store. So in that particular example, let's say I had a component and I needed to access some information from the user module and I needed some information from the product module. I wouldn't necessarily consider it as two separate entities. At the end of the day, this is just one state or one store um, and I'm able to access pieces of the store as normal um, and do what I need to do to basically facilitate any change I need to make. Um, within a particular module, I'm able to access another module state if need be. Um, I personally try to avoid that and try to facilitate in such a way that if shared information is being shared between two different modules, it might necessarily not necessarily be in one module. It might make more sense to have, I don't know, a separate module that is probably more explicit to explain that this information is going to be shared in multiple areas of your app. Okay. I that hope makes that makes sense, sense to me. I, I yeah, it makes sense to me. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, for me, like, I've told this to a few people, and I've also mentioned in the talk I gave, um, learning view and learning, I say, front-end development in general um, is, 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 is an embark of its own, you know, in the syntax, you know, and everything and whatnot. But the moment people often approach a certain point of how do I share data between my whole application or how do I, you know, share component data between this component and that component. Um, and the moment you sort of realize in views context of the different approaches you can use, be it an event bus and its cons or a global store and the reasons why it may not be fully facilitating or and Vuex, it's sort of like a aha moment. Oh, okay, now I fully understand all the different tools I need. Um, there isn't anything crazy out there that I'm not, I'm not familiar with. I can grow, let's say, a Vuex store as much as I want to, um, but it's there for me in such a way that it's supposed to facilitate a view application instead of adding more unnecessary features and whatnot. And, and also, it's really nice because uh, if you're starting out a project and if your project starts out really small and you don't want to use Vuex, you can choose not to. And then as your project scales, you can just add Vuex without having to reorganize every, <laughs> everything, which is, you know, which is really nice, which is, which is a huge asset because then you can still work at the pace that you're working without feeling like you're held back because you have to re-architect the way that your app works or the way that state management works in your app. Oh, so it's not like an either or situation. Like you can, you can just put like a little bit of data in Vuex at first you and could. then put it like a little bit, little bit more. You don't have to like rip every, every Correct. piece of like data out of your components. Yeah. Yeah, it, it makes it really easy. And so for me, that's been a really compelling argument for using Vue to begin with for a lot of people who are like, should I use Vue? And I'm like, here's why. Because it works the same with Vue Router, for example. So out of the box, you don't have to use Vue Router. You can like do routing yourself. Um, but then like if you want the complexity that Vue Router allows you to do, you can without having to change anything about the way the app currently works. Yep, I fully agree. And it's also, I think, a great precursor to understanding why you want it in the first place. I still remember the days of when I was on you know, in the React bandwagon. Using, and I kept hearing people say, you need to use Redux, for example. You need to use it. It's, your application isn't ready without it. And I never understood why. Why do I need to use a tool that my application doesn't work with, but it works well without, right? So Vue does a fantastic job of, you can do anything you need to do. Um, and if you ever need to feel that moment that, hey, I need to integrate something a little bit more robust in my application, like Vue Active Vue Router, um, you're able to do so without any, you know, repercussions for that particular reason. And, and the argument, obviously, against it is you're adding more complexity to your app, you're adding some more boilerplate, and some people could understandably be more confused if they're not familiar with what you're trying to do. But for the most part, like you, Hassan, who understand it perfectly well, making a new project and just 
throwing it in there is probably a no brainer. You could just go through it and have no problem. Yep. Yep. You're hundred percent right. Yeah. Like I think a lot of people, once that initial hurdle is overcome, um, integrating it from the beginning is sort of like, it's a get-go. Like you, it's an application, a view app for me is sort of an application that has Vuex and view router. It's, it's, it's holistic, but for someone who's brand new, it doesn't have to necessarily be the case. And there's no issues with them sort of integrating it later on, like Divya mentioned. Um, you know, there's the application won't break just having view router or Vuex installed. Hence the name, the progressive framework. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Although to be fair, like, you know, a React application isn't broken without Redux. Not, no, not necessarily. Not at all. Yeah, yeah. I think Dan Abramov also said like multiple times. Please uh, don't use Redux. Don't use Redux. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, if you think you need, need Redux, you might not be doing it right. <laughs> and then like, until you actually really, really, really have to use Redux, then add Redux. And I, I, even when I was doing a lot of React, I strongly, I, I pushed React to the point where I didn't have to use Redux. So there are many instances where a lot of people would ask me, like, why don't you just use Redux? Because it'd be faster. And I'm like, because you can do it with vanilla React. <laughs> like, you don't need to use this tool that, you know, requires you to change the entire structure in, of your application. So. Yeah. yeah. And we, we've mentioned a few times your state management talk. Uh, was that recorded somewhere or something like that? It is actually. Um, if you Google my name or YouTube my name, you would see a talk um, pop up. I think it's titled uh, State Management with Vue.js. That was a particular talk I gave. Yeah, and the link is shared here for anyone else to see. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll drop that in the show notes for people. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, I am actually going to be speaking in this particular talk and a few other conferences coming up. Um, so it's a topic I'm passionate about. And um, and I've titled my next talk from a very good friend of mine who said a good name would be how to stay sane while managing complex states in Vue.js. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So staying sane sounds like a good thing. <laughs> I know. I know. I agree. <laughs> okay. I think those are, all, those are all of my state management questions. Uh, how, is, how are people feeling? Anyone else have any, any questions for Hassan? Nope. Okay. Then wh wh what do you think, Chuck? Should we wrap up and do picks? Yep, let's do picks. I think oh, that wait, sounds actually, like a then, functional way to go. Before then, anything else you want to uh, you know talk about or plug? You know, anything that's coming up? Are you are you going to be at any like conferences coming up, son? Yeah, sure thing. So um, one thing that was an obvious plug was my book. If anyone's interested in hearing it, full stack view is a title. Um, another plug would be I'll be in O'Reilly's Fluent Conference in June sixth. Um, I'll be talking about how to stay sane while managing complex states. So if anyone's in San Jose area, then should shout out. You know, message me on Twitter or whatnot. Um, and I'll also be in Barcelona in the month after. So once again, speaking similar about state management, I think routing in that particular context, message me. My Twitter handle is my last name, Jerday H. Um, but yeah, it'll probably be plugged here, hopefully. Yeah. The link and below. That'll, that'll be in the show notes too. So Perfect. people will know how to spell your name. I was about yeah. to say my last name is not going to help anyone. But yeah, yeah, that's a few of the plugs I had in mind. Awesome. I'm trying to work out my way to... Cough. I have a ticket. I'm just not sure I can afford the travel. So nice. Let me know if you actually make it up. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do some picks then. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. 
You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Eric, do you have some picks for us? Uh, you bet. Uh, my pick this week is wallabyjs.com. It's an integrated continuous testing tool for JavaScript. I actually just talked to Artem, who's the creator of it, and it wasn't working with Vue.js, uh, VCLI 3.0 beta 11, which I just tried. Uh, he fixed it just yesterday, so it is now working with it. So it, it's a really cool tool. So when you do your tests, you can actually see, you, um, you can see it right in your editor. It works with Visual Studio Code, Sublime. Um, you'll actually see the test in your editor with these red or green or gray boxes. So you can tell, you can see if your tests are failing. It gives you messages right on your, your editor to let you know if it's failed or passing or not. And then um, it, can, it has test coverage, code coverage built in too. So you can easily check to see uh, which files are missing your, your code coverage. Um, so it just makes it a little bit easier, one less screen, one less command to run to, to look at your code coverage and testing. So I've been really psyched about that. I've been um, playing around with it a lot. So that's wallabyjs.com. And uh, that is all the picks that I have today. Awesome. Divya, what are your picks? Cool. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Gatsby.js because they recently... I think it became a startup, which I think is really cool. So that's really, really awesome to see like an open source project thrive. Um, and then the, I guess that's kind of a pick. And then the second one is that the blog, the developers, the Google developers blog, uh, they released a blog post about Smooshgate, which I think is, um, if you're not familiar with that whole debate that happened, um, where the TC39 was trying to rename Flatten, they did a huge FAQ about what happened because I know a lot of developers who kind of missed it because it was all over Twitter. And if you're not on Twitter, you probably didn't know what happened. Um, so I think that was like a really nice breakdown um, of like what happened and the miscommunication in the community in general. Um, and, that, and that's all. Yeah, I must have missed that yeah, they were. Uh, it was just a matter of they were trying to rename Flatten because Moo Tools uses Flatten as well. Dot Flatten as well, and uh. so someone proposed Dot Smoosh, which caused huge. I think it started as a joke, and and it, it caused like a huge wave of people being very upset. So, ah, uh, gotcha. I think I found a post. I'll put it in the show notes as well. Sorry, I didn't interrupt you. What do you have? Anything else you wanted to? No, that's all. That, that was all my kicks. Yeah. All right. Chris, what are your picks? All right. I have, I'm going to push it a little bit today. I've got four picks. So uh, speaking of uh, Smushgate, uh, Sarah Drasner, this is a while ago, but if you haven't seen it, I, she has a repo somewhere. I was just looking for it, but I, I couldn't find it. So we'll, I'll find it and I'll drop it in the show notes. She has a, a collection of different methods that she made up like one time in a car with her husband. <laughs> I think it's 
like a terminal app. It became like a terminal app. Yeah, maybe someone else made it based on like what she was, what she shared on Twitter. Uh, but we'll find that and we'll drop it somewhere because those were fantastic. There were some some really great, uh, some some not completely safe for work uh, JavaScript methods that sh- she jokingly proposed adding. Okay, so that's one pick. The next pick is uh, Jean-Claude Van Janssen, which is on Amazon Prime. It is a show about Jean-Claude Van Damme, who is actually a secret spy, and he uses his movie career to travel around the world and go on missions. So it's, it's, it's very self-deprecating. It's a comedy, and it's... It's very weird. And I think it's only like six episodes or something. Like super, super, like you, you can binge it. You can binge it this weekend. It's, and it, if you have Amazon Prime, it's free. Uh, another one that I watched recently is Dark, which is on Netflix. And it is a German show, but you can get it with subtitles. Or I think it even has dubbing too, if, uh, if you prefer dubbing in English, uh, which I don't recommend. But it's there. It's sort of a mystery show. I don't want to say too much, but uh, some people are comparing it to like Stranger Things. Um, I think it's way, way better than Stranger Things. I like it a lot more. Uh, I'm going to get probably people like tweeting me saying like, how could you say it was better than Stranger Things? I saw Dark and I saw Stranger Things and there's no comparison. They're not even similar. Uh, so I, if, I apologize if you don't think they're similar, but a lot of people do. And my final pick after binging dark uh, with my wife, Katie, we had to watch Primer because we had a conversation and I realized she had never seen Primer before. So unfortunately, you can't see that anywhere for free as far as I know. So we had to go on Amazon and you know, drop a few bucks to rent it. But it, Primer is my favorite time travel movie of all time. It is the best. It's fantastic. And also, it's kind of, it's kind of grainy. So you can probably buy it for $2.99, the SD version, instead of going for the HD. And it's intentionally grainy. It's an indie movie, so they're trying to do like sort of like a camcorder thing or something like that. I don't know. But buy it for $2.99. Check it out. I think you might really like it. That's all my picks. Awesome. Hassan, I'm going to have you do picks next because I'm going to talk about some heavy stuff on my turn. So Okay. Um, picks, picks, picks. So... Entertainment related. I don't know if anyone's seen Avengers. That was a really good movie. So that'll be a pick of mine. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a huge Marvel fan or anything along those lines, but um, Infinity War was, was top notch. Um, second pick, something I recently came across that I was very impressed, um, was a school, a boot camp school called Lambda School. Um, and one thing I really impressed, I'm not sure where it was located, somewhere in the States, but one thing that impressed me was students actually sign up for free. Um, and they only pay for the entire school under the condition that they get a full-time job um, after above a certain salary, and they pay a segment of their monthly salary yearly, a uh, monthly at that point. So I found that super cool. I found that super useful, and I think that was like sort of a positive feedback loop for the actual school to encourage students to actually get a job afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are my two picks: Avengers and um, Lamb School. Awesome. Now, uh, before I get all heavy on people, uh, there are two things that came out today that uh, I'm, I'm waiting to see how they turn out. One is GDPR. Uh, and besides all the spam, um, it'll be interesting to see where we end up with stuff like that. Um, I personally think it's a little heavy handed, but I'm also curious to see 
you know, as people implement it, you know, what, what gets uh, doubled down on what gets rolled back, depending on how it affects people. So um, I, I think it started a conversation that we needed to have, um, even if the EU didn't need to pass a, a global regulation for everybody in the whole world, including us in the U.S., even though we're not EU citizens, blah, 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 blah. The other thing is uh, the solo movie, uh, the Star Wars uh, story. Um, I am skeptically optimistic, I guess, is the best term for that. We'll see how they did on that. Um, I also am aware that some people only listen to one show on devchat.tv. If you listen to the other shows, you're probably somewhat aware of why I haven't been on the last three or four episodes. Um, but I just want to give everybody a heads up on where I'm at with things, mainly because I don't want people to worry too much. And um, I wasn't ready to talk about it until now. Um, but about a month ago, my dad passed away. And um, it's just been a really rough process for me to go through. And so um, anyway, I'm not going to cancel shows. I'm not quitting podcasting or anything like that. Um, I've had some people reach out to me concerned. I don't want you to worry about it or worry about me. But I did want to give everybody a heads up that, uh, yeah, I pretty much, if I didn't feel like doing something, I just didn't for about four weeks. And so I ducked out of a bunch of podcasts. Um, I did go to one or two conferences, but basically did the bare minimum and went back to my hotel room. So anyway, you know, it was just, it's just a period that I had to go through. So anyway, um, I, I appreciate all of the outpouring that I've had on Twitter and um, things like that, Facebook. Um, but yeah, that's, that's why I've been gone and I'm planning to be back. So, uh, you know, don't panic about anything as far as I'm concerned. I'm okay. Things are fine. Um, it's just been a really rough month. So anyway, all right, well, I guess we'll wrap up right there. Um, uh, maybe we should find a positive note to end on, but I, I did find out what that library was called. It's Loldash, and I think someone made it based on what Sarah Dresner made. Oh, dear. Loldash. <laughs> nice. Yeah. We'll have links in the show notes, folks. And it's good to have you back, Chuck. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to meet you, Chuck. Yeah, you too. All right, well, we'll, uh, we'll end it here, and we'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.